You know, we were reading earlier in Philippians about the Father gave Jesus the name above every name. And when I saw that, man, we just worship his name. Isn't it good to come on a, just a great day? It's a little cooler this morning. I know the weather's been kind of weird, hadn't it? Like, you know, 90 and then 60 or 40s or 30s or whatever. I mean, you know, hey, just get used to it. You're in Alabama, okay? And uh, it's just crazy. Somebody the other day said, oh, why is it getting cold again? I still remember this uh, as a young dad when Rachel was really small. One day uh, early in the week, uh, she had her little bathing suit on. And on Friday, it snowed all in the month of March. So somebody the other day said, do you think it's going to get cold again? Let me, let me just tell you, this is, I'm going to give you all a tip right now, okay? This ought to be on the garden show. Do not plant your plants to after Easter, okay? Did, did anybody ever hear that besides me? I heard that from my mom. Like, you know, and y'all like, I don't got mine in the ground. You might be taking them out. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying. All right, here we go. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's just going to be pollinated and everything's going to be beautiful. We're in Philippians. So open your Bibles to the second chapter. It's verses 12 through 16. I'll go ahead and let you sit down because you've been standing a lot this morning worshiping. So listen to this. It's from the uh, New Living Translation. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am with you, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. And then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. This is God's word for us this Sunday morning on a Palm Sunday as we're continuing our study through the epistle of joy. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that you're being encouraged in this series. It, it's certainly feeding my soul. It's encouraging my heart. Many of you said that it's been good for you. And right across the top, I wrote a message truth. I want you to look at it with me. It's, it's right inside that little yellow insert box. We have God's enabling as his spirit resides in us. And we must exercise Christ's likeness. It's a non-negotiable. He gives the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And that's just kind of the truth that I want to build on this morning. The desire and the power to do his good will, his good pleasure, one translation says. That's what God wants for you and I. And as we're walking through this passage today, I'm just thinking about we need to work out the details of our salvation. No, our, our salvation is complete. And today, I just titled this, Joy is a Workout. Now, I don't want you to leave here today saying, our pastor said we earn, we work for our salvation. Stop. We do not. There are cults, religious groups all over our country and the world that are trying to earn their way to have favor with God, to get into heaven, and it won't work because for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's a, a works base salvation if I do enough work maybe I'll get in I, I, one of my problems with that is how much is enough how do you know if you've ever and if you're running around all the time saying I've got to work I've got to work to get the favor of God you're not going to get it but this verse says we work out our salvation God's working salvation in us and now we work it out 
And it's so critical. You're just saying, well, it's just kind of a play on words. No, it's not a play on words. It's, a, it's an essential foundational truth to a follower of Christ. Look right there with me. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just fill that in. With fear and trembling. I mean, this is something so holy, so out of this world, so powerful, so profound that our God's given us. It's when we obtain salvation as a gift. God gives good gifts. We, we give gifts on an earthly level to our family, to our friends, but God gives the ultimate gift in Christ. And then he says, you know, but now I want you to work out, I want you to express the salvation. Uh, you've, re, you've received it freely. It's a gift of God. Now, I want you to work on it. I want, I want you to mine it. I want it to <coughs> work deeply within you. And I want it to overflow out of your life. I want it to be something special. You know the old passage, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Just write it in the margin because you can go back to this reference. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, if we could earn our salvation, then we would be so full more of pride than we are now because we say, but God, I achieved. God, I accomplished. God, I did it. You didn't do squat. We can't earn our salvation. And that's so basic to the Christology of the Christian faith. Another great verse is Titus chapter 3, write it down, verse 5 and verse 8. Listen to what the writer says. He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. I love that word mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth by renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is a trustworthy saying, says the scriptures. I want to stress these things so that you have trusted in God. You may be careful to devote yourselves to that which is good. These things are excellent and they're profitable for everyone. And the last one here, and I'll move on. Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. God purchases us. He buys us. He redeems us for his good will, for his good pleasure. Do y'all remember, uh, you're going to date yourself, and the young people are going, huh? Do y'all remember the, uh, the, the stamp stores, the quality stamps? You remember those little yellow stamps you used to get, your, your mama used to get them at the grocery store? All, all the young people are going, man, what, what, where'd he grow up, man? Like in the Depression? No, no, okay. And you had these things, and you would go in, and you would get these stamps at the grocery store, and you'd go in, and you'd fill your pads up. And one of my jobs as a little boy, little knot-headed boy, was, was to lick the stamps and put them in the book. Now, how many of you can taste that right now as I said, licking the stamp and putting it in there? Do you know, I have, I've gone to, I did about nine years of school after high school. So I've been to a lot of school, but you know, I still haven't graduated from that. At Christmas, Miss Donna, Donna loves me so much, but she gives me this job. She didn't let me write on the envelopes. And you that know how I write go, well, praise God, nobody can read it. So she gives me the job. She hands this stack of envelopes to me. She goes, now lick them. And I do. I, I, I lick all those envelopes. And, ugh, not, I, wait a minute, I got to get some water. I'm just getting dried out thinking about it. That is just, ugh. I mean, that's just gross, isn't it? Now, why I tell you that? We used to, we used to have these things, and we go to these stores, and, and they would have these, uh, these books, and you could look at catalogs, and you could, like, redeem it for cool stuff if you filled your book up. Something like, yeah, redemption. Well, that's what God does. He, he didn't go to the stamp store to redeem us. Christ goes to the cross, and he, and he purchases us by his blood. 
So here's what I want to say to you about working out your salvation. Write down the word. Put some spiritual sweat in it. You're not earning. It's the gift of God, but you express, you display that God is working in you that he might work out. So you put spiritual muscle. There's a spiritual fortitude, sweat to it. Man, you're getting after it. You're pursuing Christ with everything you've got. That's what glorifies God. Not some haphazard, meager, pitiful faith. It's, uh, here it is. This is going to help somebody. Uh, students over here, y'all going to totally understand this. Y'all's favorite subject in school is math and higher math, right? Yeah, you're the only one. Did you notice that? My son-in-law is a math teacher. He can work any equation. He's brilliant. And it's so good because my granddaughter now has a chance. She has a grandfather, and she's got a dad that's brilliant. So, you know, if she falls in between, she's going to be okay. Now, here's the deal. When you work a math problem, they want you to carry it out to completion and finish it. How many of you wanted to kind of do it kind of shortcut and you didn't want to work it all the way out? You know, you wanted to take the lazy way. Anybody? All right, the rest of you are lying. Okay, so, so here's the deal. God says, work out your salvation to completion. Display it to the world that you're redeemed. This is going to take some work. And it, the, the spiritual word would be sanctification. It's what God is doing in us as it works out. It's being set apart for the purposes of Jesus. And God says, I want you to work on that. I want you to work out your, your sanctification. I want that inside energy to work deeply in you. And that inside energy is the spirit of Christ. It's the power of the resurrection that we've been talking about. So we continue with careful obedience in the ways of God. Now, <laughs> look here at verse 13. God is working in you that he might give you the desire and the power, says the NLT translation, to do what pleases him. He gives you the desire, but he also gives you the power. Now you're saying, well, what's so big about that? Well, think about this for a minute. <clears throat> if you had uh, no power, wouldn't it be frustrating? I mean, all you did, you had the desire to be righteous. You had the desire to be like Christ. You had a desire to be holy, but you had no power to do it. It's called carnality. It's called probably sin. And Christ says, I, I give you the ability to do that, that you're my ambassador, you're my representative, and you work out your salvation. And you give glory to Christ. And this verse just comforts me. It thinks about, I've got a lack of ability, a lack of spiritual energy outside of Christ. But he gives us the, the Holy Spirit to do that which is right. He gives us a desire. You know, when you have a desire to do something, man, it's just, it's awesome. It's rich. Let me give you a passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, if you want to write it in the margin just to kind of keep up with some of these verses. His divine power, talking about the, the divine power of God, has given us everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God energizes and when God energizes it produces joy when God is working in you and you're working with God with everything you've got you're working out your salvation with trembling with fear with awe with reverence he is holy joy comes joy comes in the morning weeping may be for a night but joy comes in the morning how many believe that I do. And this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But some of them, this is the day the Lord has made. I will complain. I will whine. I will eeyore. Pfft. You're in the wrong place. No, you're in the right place. 
You need to change that mindset. I mean, that, that right, we talked about attitudes last weekend. Let's keep going. So he energizes our work. Here it is. Let me just tell you. I didn't become a Christ follower to 19 at my university. Grew up in a home that I was loved and had a good life. But Christ wasn't Lord. He wasn't there. I came radically to Jesus as a freshman at my university campus. And the night that I was saved, God did an amazing supernatural work in me that I didn't realize I was working out my salvation, that I had this new desire. I didn't put this desire for God's word. Before then, I didn't go to church. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't, I didn't do any of those things. I had no desire. But when Christ came in me, oh my goodness, it was like I had a desire to read God's word. And I often ask people, if you're saved, if you're in Christ, if you really know Christ, shouldn't you love the Word of God? And the church said, there's just, man, it was like, I don't know this, but I need truth. I need to feed my soul. And I couldn't get enough of it. I used to drive 50 miles one way to a Bible study just because I wanted to be taught the Scriptures as a young believer. And then God gave me this desire to fellowship with the church. And how I love the church. I've loved the church for almost four decades now. And I've been a pastor now in my 34th year. And I think about, wow, this has been incredible. But before that, the idea of going to church every Sunday. I have people now going, are you going this Sunday too? Man, you're kind of religious. Why are you doing that so much? Let me tell you a true story. We had a lake place that we built when I was in junior high. I used to water ski four days a week, long, curly hair. Just, just work with me. I know this is truth. Donna's got pictures, okay? Long, curly hair. I would ski all the time. I abandoned the world and started following Christ. And my dad, he didn't get it. He said, son, why do you always want to leave here now on Saturday night and you go back to town to go to church? There are plenty of churches up here, son, on this lake if you want to go. I said, dad, you don't know. I've been redeemed. I've got this desire. I want to be with my faith family. I want to be with my community of faith. And he just looked at me going, all right, boy, well, go ahead and go. Now, later on, he gave his life to Christ. That was an awesome time. But, you know, people don't understand it when you don't have Christ. Like, why do you want to read your Bible? Like, man, that thing's kind of archaic. That thing's kind of old. That thing's kind of Greek. <laughs> that thing's kind of Hebrew. It's kind of hard. And yet... It's life. And you find the way to the Father. And you find direction for your soul. And I say, God, you give us desire. You give us power. Here, here's one people ask me. If, if I give my life to Jesus and I get radical, he's going to send me to Africa. Ah! I couldn't go there. I used to say that. I went to Africa. And I'm in Kenya, Africa in a remote village. And I promise you, behind this hut Stepped out this man that was almost naked with all this stuff, you know, running through the thing. And, and, and I couldn't speak his language. He couldn't mind. And I thought, I have arrived. But then I thought, I want to be here. I want to carry the gospel here. I want to be a part of this. When the Willifords went to Mexico, people go, why? 
Y'all have a little girl. Y'all have a life here. Things are good. Things are easy. Why do you want to go to a dusty road? Why do you want to live in a remote village where you don't understand anybody? Why, why, why? People go to China. Why do you want to go to China? Because God puts a desire there. When God puts a desire in you, you want to do it. Amen? And when you have a desire, you're like, oh, God. So write this down. God, implant your desires in my heart. You're like, I'm not writing that down. I'm certainly not praying that. No, no, that'll bring glory to the Father. I don't, I don't know if God's going to send you to a foreign land. It might be this, God, I want you to implant your desires in me in this life that I can do the things that honor you. And God's got something for every one of us to do that's different, unique, according to our personalities, to our spiritual gift mix. And we walk in that. Oh, my goodness, Christ, his good pleasure. It pleases him. It's to be like his son, conform us to the image of Christ. All right, look at verse 14. Then he talks about, so he's talking about work hard, show the results of your salvation. Now, verse 14, I just wish this wasn't in there. I, right now, I've never seen so many heads look down. Y'all look down like, man, what is this? Like? I read it a minute ago. Now, look at let, Let's look at this. this. This is tough. You don't even have to know Greek or Hebrew or even know somebody that knows Greek or Hebrew. Do everything without complaining and arguing. I, I just, would somebody come here and explain this to me? I, I, I just can't understand this. The, the participles are kind of dangling, and I don't understand the, the tense of the verb here. No, Keith, you understand it. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Does anybody in this room complain? That, not rhetorical. Does anybody in this room ever complain? Do you ever argue? Yeah, I got the T-shirt, okay? <laughs> and we talked last weekend about doing, about... Um, how important it was to have the right attitude. You know who didn't complain one time? Jesus. Guess who had every right to complain and gripe and moan and murmur? It would have been Jesus. And the Bible says, he, you don't read about, and Jesus complained as he walked around the corner. There's another multitude to touch him. <laughs> he just didn't do it. it. It wasn't his nature. He's a great example. I want you to write inside this box, don't complain. The Greek word is goguzman. Don't complain. It means literally you're discontented with your lot in life. It's akin to the word grumbler. If you don't understand the word complain, you understand the word grumbling. And when you read in the Old Testament, the people in the promised land, and they're down there, and they're going all through the land, and they're whining, and they're complaining with their leader. Oh, we should have stayed here. Why don't we go here? We're going to die here in the wilderness and on and on. They're just whiner, whiner. It's the theme that runs through Exodus 15 through 17. The people were constantly complaining. Here's what I know about complaining. When you, a lot of people are complaining about a problem, then there's problems that come with complaining. Would you agree? If you complain enough, you say, well, I'm just complaining because I'm just trying to be a realist and I'm just trying to forecast uh, what's going on. Oh, oh that's fine. <coughs> But then there's a problem associated with it when we get wrapped up, and that becomes our attitude. We, it, uh, I think when we complain, it begins to drive out unity in the body of Christ. I think when we complain, it makes us sour. I promise you this. When I complain, there is no joy in my life. And like people, you know, like, man, I, I mean, this, this afternoon, if I could give you two groups of people, I said, you can go over there and they have joy in their soul and they love life and they love people and it's going to be a great atmosphere. And I'm going to take you to this house and all they do is they murmur and they complain about how horrible and how bad and how wretched everything is. And, and which house would you pick? 
I know where I'm going. I'm going to the house of joy. I'm going to the one where there's life and, and the joy of the Lord is present. And, and, and the scripture is just so queer, quick here. Let me, let me just give you this. Complaining is habit forming. Would you agree? I think it is. I've learned that personally. If I start complaining and I get bent on that, it becomes a, a habit. It's hard to break because it becomes a, a, the Bible says what goes into a man, and it's over, it speaks out the abundance of his heart. It's an overflow. So God, help us not to be grumblers or complainers. Complaining wastes a lot of time. Have you ever noticed that? When you complain, you don't get anything done. You just, you talk about that. You focus on that issue. And that issue becomes the mountain. And that issue becomes the thing that obsesses your life. And God says, I need to move that away. And here's what I know about complaining. It's an outstanding trait of the old nature before you knew Jesus. And now he says, I've redeemed you. I've given you a new heart. I've given you a new nature. Follow me. Complaining is something that God is certainly aware of. And the scripture says that God takes it personally. Read the Old Testament. Read Exodus. Write down Exodus 16, 7 through 8, verse 11. Deuteronomy 134. Listen to Numbers chapter 11, 1 through 4. Just listen to this brief portion. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Does that look like a very pleasant situation? The Lord took this personally. He had done something great for them. And they spit in his face and they rejected him. And then before we just pick on the people here, let's look in our own life. Man, I've become negative. I've become a complainer. I've become a grumbler. And I want the joy of Christ. So I've got to rid myself of it. I think that's what Scripture tries to teach us. Complaining is destructive. It, it, you know, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, the Scripture says, don't put the Lord to the test. And here we are. So, and it ruins us. Listen to James 5, 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You're like, man, the Scripture says that? James 5, 9, it does. Don't grumble. And somebody walked in here today, you're like, man, how did you know? Did my husband call you? Did, did my wife call you? Did, 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 I mean, it's always, you know, if you notice, I don't look at anybody specific in the service. You know why? I remember at AUM, I would lock into people. They taught us in seminary, like, lock in with people. Here's the only problem. This guy came to me after the service. He goes, dude, he was murdering that service. You stared me down, man. The Holy Ghost was all over me, and I'm miserable. Could you not look at me anymore? He said, my wife's already sitting next to me, and she was elbowing me, and you were staring at me. It was, it, it was tough, brother. And if you want me to come to that church, you don't look at me anymore. I said, okay. So now I've just trained myself. Just, plus, I'm blind. I mean, all these lights are in my face. So it, honestly, when I look out there, I see spots. I mean, y'all are amazing when I look at y'all. And every time somebody walks on the stage and they speak, they're like, hey, them lights are kind of bright, ain't they? Yeah, they're bright. Like, oh, I messed up. You're not supposed to look in them, and I did to make illustration. Oh, help him, Jesus. Now y'all are all spots. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get back on point. Here it is. Look in the box. Don't complain. The second one, don't argue. When, when it talks about being divisive, argumentative, I, I, I would just say it's a toxic attitude that Christ wants to rid the church of. He wants to rid you and me of. So, Lord, help us to be cheerful and not to murmur. Uh, when you and I complain... Here's the truth, I think. When you and I complain, I can't be attractive for Christ. My witness is somehow diminished. 
tarnished, ruined, cast aside. So if I will cast aside my complaining for the joy of the Lord, then Christ somehow is uh, exalted. He's, he's lifted up. It's a lot greater. Look at verse 15. And then we work to have an effective witness. <laughs> I, I think that's a key principle here. The, the Bible, look what it says here. That we would live clean, innocent, pure lives as children of God. Man, without fault. This, this life that is just uh, in this perverse, sinful, wicked generation, God says, I've got witnesses, and it's, it's the church, it's the body of Christ, those that I've redeemed, and I want y'all to be effective. I want people to be drawn to my son. I want my son to be magnified because of your witness. And I think about how many times I blow that, and how many times we maybe get it right, and how many times we don't. And God says, clean up your act, have a little house cleaning, have a little house cleaning on your attitude, get rid of your complaining. And, and then a question I thought was, what kind of family resemblance do you and I have? You know, all the time people are like, hey, you've got strong genes in your family. You, you ever notice that? Uh, <coughs> here we go. I'm going to pick up my friend right here, Kendall. Her and her mom. Y'all got some strong genes going on. I saw her, her mom was here yesterday. And, and you see these two? And, and, and it's like they, they, they look so much alike. Of course, Kendall's the younger version. She's her daughter. But you just, if for, if for a minute, you go, whoa, there's family resemblance. I think I saw your mom. You go, that was my mom. And think about this. When people see you, do they go, man, there goes Jesus. That looks like Jesus. Or do they go, huh, you're the son of the devil. I, I know who your father is. There he looks just like him. Looks like, you know, you, you ever wonder why people get upset with non-Christians? Man, I can't believe what they're doing. Man, they're just doing all this sin and they're just destroying stuff. Time out. A sinner is doing what they're made to do. Somebody without Christ, that's their nature that controls them. So they're just living out that Adamic sin nature. But when we come to Christ, when we have been redeemed, when God renews us, when God restores us, when God makes us new and we begin the process of sanctification, then we ought to start resembling somebody else, our Father, full of grace and truth. So, Lord, I love that. I, uh, I like what he says here. He goes, shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. A witness shining bright. You know, the secular world that you and I live in, it is full of spiritual darkness. How many would agree with that? If you don't believe that, go turn on the news this afternoon and watch it and go, our world is dark, sick, lost, unregenerated, pagan, in need of a Savior. Oh, hello. I, I read this story about a woman. I loved it. She, she felt very much alone at her place of employment. She was like the only Christian there, and she would kind of complain about it. And to make matters worse, she would be vocal about her faith, and people would ridicule her for being a, a, a witness or proclaimer of Christ. <laughs> so she got real, real uh, discouraged, and she, she went to her pastor, or she went to the boss there, and said, you know, I just... I like my job, I like the benefits, but I'm really discouraged here and things are really hard and I'm just thinking about quitting my job. And, and so the boss says, you know, but before you do that, I, I want you to just go and I want you to seek counsel with your pastor before you quit here because I, I think you're doing a good job. I think you're making a difference. And after listening to her complaints, the pastor said this, where do people usually put lights? They put them in the dark places. And that's exactly what you are. God has put you in a dark place that you can radiate, that you can shine for him. 
And I want you to think about your life right now. At school, in your community, in your workplace, you might be the only light of the gospel. And that light is to reflect the life of Christ. And, and I remember this when I worked for Caterpillar before I became a pastor. I remember, I felt like I was one of the few in my whole division that had a light. And my supervisor used to kind of pick on me about my faith in Jesus. And I remember I'd come, oh, 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 I can't believe this, man. It's a guy, man, it's like, give me a hard time. I'm just trying to share Jesus. I'm trying to bring some morality and integrity to this place. Oh, oh, oh. And, like, and God like spanked me on that. He let me read that verse about no complaining. So then I just went and hit my dog. No, no I, I didn't do that. I just like, all right. But I, I just, okay, so I'm a light, I'm a light, I'm a light. And then I remember after three years there and three months and 21 hours and six minutes, not that I was counting. No, uh, <clears throat> I walked into his office and I said, I'm going to leave this place and uh, I'm, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to become a pastor. And he looked at me. And big crocodile tears started flowing down his cheek. He said, I've given you a hard time, Hatton. I said, you have. He says, but I respect you. And I admire what you're doing. And then I gave him a tissue. And he just, I mean, I thought, hey, this is cool, God. And I'm watching my friend. I mean, he's out of control. He's losing it. A few years ago, I called him. I mean, he cried again. He was just crying on the phone. Since then, he's committed his life to Christ, and we just started talking. It, it, do y'all believe the Lord's good that he lets us see some of that stuff sometimes? We want to shine. Because some of you right now are like, I'm not working in that place. Now, students, if you don't go to school, they call you a truant, and they put you in jail. Okay, so you got to go back to school. But wherever you are, if it's dark, and you're saying, well, man, in my place, there's lots of lights. Well, celebrate, because you might not be there long. God might take you to a place where you can be a greater witness and shine like a star for him. You're a navigational aid. You know, when I walk in the room, I expect the light bulbs to work. Due to our elder, Tim Womble, he fixed a lot of lights yesterday <laughs> on work day. So there's a lot of places that were pretty dim and out. And man, I walked I walk down the hall this morning, I was like, man, that's what it looks like in here. And see, that's what light bulbs do. They give off light. What do Christians do? They give off the light of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the darkness of the world. All that come to me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Read uh, John this week. John chapter uh, John 1, verses 1 through 14. Great section about light. So we shine like stars in the universe. Let me give you a couple of verses. Psalm 37, 6. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. Lord, that's what I want you to do. Fill this place with the light of Christ. Let us shine for your glory. Listen to Daniel 12, 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Don't you love to go out to uh, an area that doesn't have the city lights and you look up into the heavens, you gaze into the heavens and what do you see? You see the majestic handiwork of God and you see the stars that twinkle, twinkle, little stars. Oh no, that's for Ramsey. All right, you, you, see, you see the stars and what do they do? They just beam, and they give God glory. Do you see what I'm trying to say today? Christ wants you and I to just give him praise, and to give him honor with a holy life, with a moral life, with a pure life, with a Christ-like life. Radiant living in a dark world, because, man, our world is dark. 
It needs Christ. How does it get Christ? We share. Matthew 5, 14. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you're the light of the Lord. So now live as children of the light. Lord, help us to be in the light. Let's look at this, verse 16. Work in such a way that the message of eternal life is proclaimed. The message of hope, the message of joy. That one translation says, hang on, hold firmly, hold out, hold it in your hand, says the J.B. Phillips. Get a tight grip, but hold on to the life of the gospel. Hold on to the hand of the Savior. Walk with Him. Speak the truth in the darkness. You know what? Some of us in this room, this week God is going to give us a test. And we're going to have to speak for that which we believe. Are you persuaded? Can you give a definitive answer for why you believe and why you're following Christ and why your life is the way it is? Something to think about. Are you shining as a light? Is your light causing others to turn toward God? Or is your life causing others to turn away from Christ? It's Holy Week, folks. Today, Palm Sunday, we're moving toward the cross. And we're going to go into glorious resurrection. And this place will be packed next weekend. Hallelujah. And churches all across the world, they'll be packed. But the next week, it'll be back church as normal. I ain't wearing that suit again, preacher. Hey, let me tell you about this church. It's cool. Don't get a suit. It would be ridiculous. I don't know what you would do with it. I'm a pastor. I've got like 12 suits. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? I wear suits, weddings, funerals, and championships. That's it. Oh, and when I speak to chapel services or when I speak to graduations, that's the only time that I ever wear a suit. And I have, you know, I have those suits and I'm like, hey, hey, hey. but you come to this church, you don't need a suit. And people say, that's why I come here. Don't have a suit. So, hey, next weekend, bring somebody. They go, well, I don't have anything to wear. You got clothes? Then come. Don't come naked. Now, that'd be, that'd be odd. We don't want you to come without your clothes on. But if you got some, come. If you don't, we'll go by and get you something this week. Matter of fact, if you've got somebody who really needs to come to church and don't have anything to wear, you call me. We'll make sure they get something to wear. Amen? Just come. Come as you are. Let Christ dress your heart. And I know some of us are, you know, and that's fine. Some of you will come in with your new bonnet on. <laughs> we don't have a lot of bonnets around. But uh, you'll come with a new shirt or a new dress or new shoes or new face. I mean, I mean, new lipstick or new something. I don't know. Be bold. Here's what I know. Our culture just needs the gospel. So what does God give me the desire to do this morning for the kingdom? Come my last question. What's God giving you a desire to do for the kingdom of Christ? I think if we ask him, he'll answer. In Israel, there's the Dead Sea. It has an inlet, but it has no outlet. So everything that flows into there gets trapped and it dies and there's no life there. It's called the Dead Sea. There's another sea that I've been on. I've, I've been in the Dead Sea, but I've also been on the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It's full of fish and life. And it has an inlet and it has an outlet that drops, that dumps into the River Jordan. And that's the way we need to be as Christians. Some of you are like, no, I'm just going to be a a Dead Sea Christian. No, wrong answer. You need to be a Sea of Galilee Christian. You need to let your life flow into something else. And this week, somebody's looking, somebody's wanting to know. I wrote it across the bottom as the best that I've tried to say all day. Joy in working out what God works in. Folks, I just pray God unleashes joy in this place like we've never seen. But it's not just joy in worship. It's joy every day. 
Chris, team, Jeremy, y'all come. And we're going to close on the last song. This, this song, I love this song. It's just about Jesus. It says, let it be Jesus. And you don't want to leave on this song because this song would just move you to the heart of the Father. And it'll be a song, maybe, maybe you know it and you'll celebrate it. And you don't know it, you'll learn it. You're saying, let it be. That's the Beatles. No, this is the real Jesus, okay? This is the real song. Let it be. Let it be Christ. Let it be Jesus. You know, this morning, I don't know about you, but boy, I got some things to work on this week. No complaining, no arguing, no criticizing. Live a clean, pure, holy life. Shine like a star in the universe. Well, that sounds good. And we just want to glorify him. Let's pray together. Lord, it's good to be in your house this morning <coughs> among friends and family. And Lord, we, uh, we just need you. Lord, from the word this morning, we see clearly that uh, you have a purpose for us, that you've poured out yourself. Lord, when I think about today, a few thousand years ago, when you came into the city, that was awesome. Hosanna, they sang. They shouted praises to you. And then a few days later, crucify him. Crucify him. Why crucify this pure, holy, innocent man that was God? But they did. But Lord, you took all our shame and suffering on the cross that we might live. So this morning, Lord, I pray we would avail ourselves to you. We would open our hearts wide and we'd say, Lord Jesus, come. I'm glad you're not a military leader. You're the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come and invade my heart this Palm Sunday and give me life eternal and abundant. Lord, give me the opportunity to speak my faith this week. God, I pray that every person that hears my voice now or on the internet would invite somebody, would bring somebody, would cultivate a relationship with somebody to try to point them to the cross this next week. Lord, you are God. No, Jesus is Lord. You're Lord of all. You're Redeemer. You're friend. I love the Greek, you're Kyrios, you're master. Come and be master in this place. Jesus, may your praise fill this place. May it fill our hearts now. And may it leak out onto a dark world this afternoon. Magnify your name, Jesus. Amen.